Okay, yeah. So uh, this is part three, if you've been listening or following. This is uh, part three of our Q&A, and then next week we'll conclude with part four. So if you haven't been here for the Q&A, it's a lot of fun. And um, here is um, one of the, the first questions, and it comes from a specific passage of Scripture. It's Matthew chapter 17, verse 11 to 13. Uh, thankfully, the person wrote it here. Uh, he answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Yeah, Kramer. Yeah, and I imagine a lot of others of you know. So here's the question. What is up with Elijah coming back? as that he's going to restore all things, but also as John the Baptist is actually Elijah or is it someone like him? This whole idea is confusing to me. So you guys want to jump in? Do you guys have an answer ready to go? No? Do you have an answer? Once again, to clarify the question, it's what's up with Elijah coming back? He's restoring all things. So is this someone other than John the Baptist? Is it Elijah? Is it someone like him? Can you just clarify? Reincarnation seems pretty unlikely, so I'm going to go with someone in the... (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, thanks, Chad, man. I hope that picked that up. Um, Yeah, and so I think that the short answer is, and I think the ESV studied that Bible does a great job explaining this, is um, this is someone coming in the power and the spirit of Elijah. And, of course, Jesus says right there in the text, he, he answers the question, like, I'm saying, like, this is John the Baptist. And so... Um, that's that's the prophecy, right? He's gonna Elijah's gonna come, and Jesus is like, yeah, like Elijah has come, and it was John the Baptist, and of course, that Matthew tells us, like the disciples understood that he was referring to John the Baptist ultimately as the fulfillment of this prophecy, um, and of course, that's also. Another prophecy with Isaiah, right? Um, Behold the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the the way of the Lord. And so he comes as this forerunner to essentially come before Jesus, put up all the billboards, right? Blast social media and be like, the king is coming, right? Jesus is coming. The kingdom has come, right? And that's really was the role that John the Baptist played in calling the people to repent, right? Right? Not feel bad, not feel sorry, but repent. This 180 degree turn away from our sin. So um, that was a good question. Uh, here's the second question. Were the Old Testament saints, such as Moses, justified? And that word means declared, Righteous. boom, got it. So, so Old Testament saints, such as Moses, were they justified? Were they declared righteous by their faith? Or were they only credited as righteous? So were they justified, declared righteous by their faith, or did they only just get credit as righteousness? Basically, does justification come before? Does justification pre-exist Jesus' death and resurrection? So that's the question. Um, My answer is yes and yes to both those questions. Unless I'm wrong... But I think I'm right. My answer is yes to both. So, once again, were the Old Testament saints such as Moses justified by their faith? Yes. Or were they only credited as righteous? Yes. And basically, does justification pre-exist Jesus' death and resurrection? Yes. So I guess there's three yeses. So here's where I, I said I gave triple yeses, and I'm thinking Romans chapter 4, 1 to 5. So if someone could quickly turn there, that would be really great, and also read it out loud. Um, 
because this is totally going to give you those three yeses that we just looked at. So Romans chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. So are you there, Kramer? Okay, can you go ahead and just read that out loud? All right. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Yeah, awesome. That's a nice looking ESV study Bible, right, by the way, too. Um, so once again, I want to come back. I want to frame that. Were the Old Testament saints such as Moses justified by their faith? Yes, right? They're, they are declared righteous in a legal sense before God because of their faith. And in being declared righteous because of their faith, um, they are that, and the phrase was usually here, credited or imputed righteousness comes. So it's not like one or the other because the question kind of phrased it or... Um, rather, I would just change the or on the question to and for whoever wrote it because it's, it's actually both when you read Romans chapter 4, 1 to 5. And, of course, that also answers the question in understanding that that is, in fact, how Abraham was justified. We also understand that justification comes before Jesus' death, which sometimes is a puzzling question because it's like, okay, Jesus hasn't come and died yet, so how, how do we get saved, right? Um, in other words, how are we how are we justified? How are we declared righteous, right? If Jesus hasn't come to pay that debt. And that's the thing, like, people in the Old Testament, in theory, really, in essence, was they were saved the same we were. They were saved in the same way. Like, ultimately, as a gift of God, by faith, trusting in God and the promises of God. Um, and so, yes, yes, and yes to all of those things. And Romans 4, 1 to 5, I think really uh, helps offer a helpful explanation. But that's still kind of fuzzy, um, I think, for some people, because it's like, wait, so they got saved and Jesus hasn't come yet? Uh, here, here's another question, and before I even read this question, I'll, I'll frame it like this. I was sitting at, uh, I, was in, I was at Fort Knox, right outside Louisville, Kentucky, uh, summer of, I don't know, 15 or 16. I'm having lunch with... My good buddy, Tim McMeans. Tim, if you're listening, shout out to you. Um, he probably is not listening. But I asked him, I, I asked him, I said, when did Jesus save you? And uh, he gave me an answer that no one's ever gave, but totally biblical. He said, without blinking an eye, Jesus saved me before the foundations of the world. Boom, right? I mean, mic drop. And of course, yeah. right, he's thinking Ephesians chapter 1, 3 to 6. And that's exactly what it says, right? In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the riches of his mercy. And uh, when you read the opening verse in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 to 6, are you there right now? Read, start reading verse 3, because I want to frame this for a second. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he who chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love, in love he, predest he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Yeah, amen. So this obviously introduces, um, and that's 
was the basis of my friend Tim's kind of smart, smart Alec type answer. But it, it raises the question, um, and the question says, predestination or free will? And this certainly, I think, is tied into the doctrine of election, which um, um, people say, all right, well, I remember having it when I taught at LCA, I had a ninth grader say, can you t- tell us about election? And I don't mean like the presidential election. I knew what she, she meant. Um, it's kind of cute how she said it. When it comes to the idea of predestination, there's usually two schools of thought on this. And um, and so there is the single-handed view when it comes to predestination and the two-handed view. So one-handed, two-handed, if it helps, break it down like this. Um, pretty much everyone believes in predestination. They just define it differently because you've got the word right there in the Bible. And so in the two-handed view of election... Or predestination. God looks through the corridor of history, right? Because God, um, he knows all things, okay? I think most Orthodox Christians would agree to that. And because he knows all things, he sees and knows who will reach out, who will respond in faith, much like Father Abraham did, who we just heard about. And because he knows that they're going to reach out to him and respond in faith, he thus reaches down and grabs them and saves them i.e. the two-handed view when it comes to election and predestination. And this would be more of a what we'd call probably like a free will type position. But there is also what's known as the one-handed view or the Augustinian view made popular by, of course, um, Augustine, yeah, uh, and the Apostle Paul probably because he's the one that's writing this. At least some would argue that. And so in the one-handed view, God, he knows all things. He looks through the corridor of history and he knows all things, so he can see who's going to respond and who's going to choose him, and no one chooses him. Not a single one. As the scriptures tell us, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks for God, no one understands God, Romans chapter 3, 10, and 11. And so, in the one-handed view, no one chooses God, everyone chooses sin, everyone chooses death because of our 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 fallen sinful nature that was introduced in the garden and so bad news but according to Ephesians 1 5 it says there's good news right in love he predestined us and so in this view no one chooses God no one reaches out for God yes he knows all things and yet in love he reaches down and saves some and so this is typically what is referred to the more Calvinistic position, the one-handed view, the Augustinian view. But those are really the, the two views. I don't know if you've ever heard it presented that way. One-handed, Augustinian. Two-handed, the more Arminian free will view. Um, once again, everyone really believes in predestination or election. They just define it differently. Some people say, oh, I don't believe in that. Well, you do. You probably just are, you would define it differently than how you think it is defined. But those are the two views. And... Um, yeah, so, anyways. I don't see any hands, and I should have prefaced this. If anyone wants a follow-up question or to make a comment, slip your hand up, and we can keep talking about it. If not, we'll drive forward. So, that was a lot there, so... Um, we'll keep going. Here's the next question. How do you know when to get married? That's a good question. Um, I think I'd answer this a couple different ways. Um, how do you know when to get married? 
do you want to get married? If the answer is no, you're probably not ready to get married. Um, I think there's a, a good question because I'll, I'll I'll ask people say you know how do I know if I should get you know should I be dating someone right now because you could I think there's a maybe even a side question a sub question should I be dating right now should I get married well um, I usually ask the person in that line of thinking well are you ready to get married today and oftentimes the response I get is no I'm not ready to get married today and then I follow that up well then why would you be dating someone if you're not ready to get married today they don't like that so they say well okay okay um, I need to be a, I, I, I think there are other practical things I'm like okay okay so usually then I, I reframe it and I said alright that's a really hard line so are you ready to get married the next 12 months or 18 months now, there's no biblical rule or basis for this I think there's certainly a practical reason I say 12 or 18 months um, because what I think the downside is is you date someone and it goes on and on and on and you cross emotional barriers you shouldn't cross you cross physical barriers you shouldn't cross and then what happens like we end up breaking up and I remember like I remember dating girls and I had no plan of getting married like it was just kind of like I'm just going to date because I can and just because you can doesn't mean you should kind of like just because you catch a fish you know what if the fish is that big like throw it back right just because you have a fish on the hook doesn't mean you need to reel it in and keep it and I think there's certainly I think a helpful way in approaching this topic but once again the question was specifically aimed at marriage so lest I dodge it terribly I think there's certainly a practical element how are you going to pay for things I mean this is uh, this is something that's what I want to know how are you going to pay for things now um, I do get sometimes into disagreements with people's parents, especially with a lot of young single people um, here. Because um, usually parents are like, you're going to finish college, blah, 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 or you got to get a job. And I think sometimes the parents are just, I think, they're very concerned for their children in this regard. And, and I agree, but I'm also thinking of, I would rather... I would rather someone get married maybe a year earlier than they otherwise were planning to and, you know, and, and gut it out and have to maybe work a little bit harder but not be falling into sexual sin which breaks and hurts that friendship with the other person and it hurts that vertical relationship with God and creates really just cracks in that relationship with that person. Especially if you're like, man, I, this, is, this is my person, right? And so... Um, I always tell people, I've heard Piper say this, like, two can live more cheaply than one. Um, and so I think it oftentimes is, it's very, very doable. You can get really, really, really creative um, when it comes to this. But that's, I think, a certainly a practical one. Can you even afford it? Um, so if I step back, can I afford it? How much, and you know, you might have to just bust out a calculator at this point, right? How much can I make? How much does it cost to live? Can I afford this, right? I know you want to, but... It, practically, like, are you there right now? Um, and two, I think, in asking this question, when you're in those romantic relationships, you are in the fog of war. And when you're in the fog of war, you don't see things as clearly as you otherwise would because you're in love. And love is, uh, love can be very disorienting, right? 
Um, as Jeremiah would tell us, um, do not listen to your heart. Uh, it is incredibly deceptive and will like lead you astray, despite like all the pop culture songs, which are like, listen to your heart. Uh, some of you guys have heard that. I'm like, no, like Jeremiah's like, don't do that. Don't listen to her. Uh, it is deceitfully wicked above all else who can know it. And so understanding that, whether you're, you know, if you're on the, the brink, or you're looking into that next chapter. Um, so that's where you're like, all right, I'm not the subject matter expert. I can't see clearly. So I need to lean on my battlefield generals, right? What are my, gen- what are my, what are my chief of staff saying, right? I, I'm like the commander in chief in this illustration. I'm in the White House. I'm not in Afghanistan. I'm not in Iraq. But my generals are, they have the best, they have the clearest view of the situation. And so when that wise counsel in your life says, no, 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 the, probably the best answer is, is you're not ready to get married. Okay? Um, if your parents love Jesus, if your parents are walking with Jesus, and they say no, okay, then you probably shouldn't. Or other godly wise uh, counsel. And um, like I said, I, sometimes I do disagree with parents. Because I, I always tell people, like, if you really want to get married, your parents are walking with Jesus, your parents love Jesus, are serving Jesus, and they, they don't want you to, tell them why. Make your argument. Go back. They've said no. Talk to them again. Pray about it. Because if you really feel strongly about this, and maybe you, your parents are just, well, for whatever reason, you guys just aren't seeing eye to eye, then tell them. You know? I, I always tell people, present the fact, like, we want to honor God in the purity of our relationship. Maybe that's an awkward conversation to have with your parents. Tell them that. Right? Maybe that's something they haven't even thought about, or they just assume that their little boy or girl is just this perfect little angel. Um, usually not the case. And so I think those are where I'd start. I could keep going longer. I don't know. Does anybody else have a thought they'd like to add or a question that they'd like to ask clarification on? I don't see any hands. I'll wait just a couple more. Okay, okay, okay. Kramer, yes. Is this a follow-up question or a comment? It kind of is a follow-up question. All right. Um, what are you thinking? In one of the classes um, that I took at Liberty, we went through a lot of testimonials of like college couples who got married um, for purity's sake, um, so that sex could be consummated in marriage and like therefore be okay in the will of God. Um, but unfortunately, that's all they were looking at, and um, they didn't consider the other things that were that went into a marriage. Sure. And um, what are some ways that you can make sure that you're not just getting married for the consummation? Right, and I think that's where that wise counsel is really going to come in handy. Um, having premarital counseling, or I'm a big advocate of pre-engagement counseling because usually by the time people are engaged, they're they're, they're not going to even if even if all the counsels like this is a terrible thing he <laughs> he beats you like he's an adulterer they're like oh no I'm still going to get married or or she or whatever usually like once you're engaged it's like it's basically like a done deal I think at least psychologically I'm sure there's some stats to back that up so I am a big advocate of pre-engagement counseling I didn't hear about that uh, for until I was I don't know maybe in seminary but I think it's a great way to kind of like all right I'm dating this person I could see us making that commitment I could see us getting engaged soon might be a good time um and that's where asking questions right you're in the fog of war so having people poke holes try to poke holes in your relationship um i mean i did a pre-engagement counseling for a couple like two years ago um they ended up breaking up um maybe i poked too many holes uh i asked a lot of hard questions and i honestly i use john piper's 100 questions to ask before you get married just as a resource and I try to come at it more of a, from a clinical point of view and I'm just like oh well how do you feel about that Connor you know and Connor tells Kramer and Kramer's like 
oh, well, I had no idea you were, I've never even heard you say that before, right? And so, um, but I think once again, that's where like wise counsel. Um, and so having people look at that so that you don't get there because there is a, a certain Disneyland type of, I'm gonna get married and we're gonna have sex. And it's gonna be like magical and it's gonna be wonderful. And then it's like, wow, like this sucks. Like I'm a month into marriage and this is just the worst. Like what have I done? Buyer's regret. Um, like that's a, I'm telling you, like there's like a bit, that's a very common thing. I think people have this really this this stigma that it's going to fix everything. And in reality, what ends up happening, kind of going on the line of what you're thinking is, it doesn't really fix everything. It just really magnifies how sinful that person is you're with. And uh, I mean, what do you think? Do you have anything? Would you? You nailed it. I nailed it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, it reveals that. So, um, and that's where, once again, the biggest thing is, how do you know when? Yeah, you can pray, but I think God gives us people in our lives, those battlefield generals, to, to walk with us through. So, Oh, yes. New Lexi. Engaged. Yeah, I would say it's like recently engaged. It's one of those things like Caleb and I really wanted to get married in May, mainly because I wanted, I didn't want to get married in the winter. That was, I was like, I don't want a winter wedding. I got married. We got married in the winter. I don't want it. But here we are. And it was one of those things where we would have been long distance for three months in between like finishing up my semester and like things like that before my student teaching. And everybody was like don't do that like, that's the worst move you can make so we we're like okay we trust you and so we're getting married in december instead of may when in december i'm not entirely sure yet but it'll Ooh. be december you know who got married in december who? we got married in december when? the 20th the day before john piper got married <laughs> <laughs> oh, we didn't know that until like the day after and i was like diana john piper got married the day after us how cool is that <laughs> Yeah, so any other thoughts or questions um, on this? A comment, a question before we go to the next question? Oh, yeah, Megan. Okay. So related to that, if you're at a place where you think you're ready to get married, but you're not in a relationship, what do you do about it? What is, like, overly focusing on it and idolizing it versus, like, an appropriate level of interest in, like, pursuing someone? Um. So I think people struggle with like not. I, I, yeah, it, it's it's really hard. Um, I would say to the person who is at that place where they're not in a relationship, but they're at a place where they're like, I have a full time job and school type of thing. I mean, that was the position I was in. Um, I didn't get married until I was twenty eight, um, and um, and so I think the big thing is is in checking that. Um, are you walking with God? Are, do you love God? Are you serving God? Are you following God? Are you are you walking in obedience with Him? And if you say yes to all those things, I would say cast your net on both sides of the boat. Um, and, and, and to clarify that, I remember like my best friend Roland, I was like, just do the online dating thing. He's like, which one? I'm like, all of them. <laughs> I said, cast your net on both sides of the boat. I'm like, you could do, do this one, do this one. And uh, I said, why not? And so... Um, you know, almost kind of like a modern day. I'm going to be like Ruth, and I'm just going to like go right up to uh, Boaz's feet. Don't really know who Boaz is, but I'm just going to put it out there, right? You know, here I am. If someone would like to pursue me, if I'm a girl, and uh, um, whatever the other analogy would be if we were guys. So, um, but yeah, I think that's perfectly like, I think that's perfectly like okay. Um, and I've, I've advocated people do that. Like, s sign up for that. Um, if you have opportunities, like, take them seize them also, yeah oh yeah diana it would be good if 
guys you would actually ask girls out and girls you would actually say yes <laughs> to those dates <laughs> so just try just do it if you're ready do it are there any infj girls in here by the way okay somebody wanted to somebody wanted to know if there were any infj girls in here so um i just hooked totally hooked you up uh now you know that there are some infj's girls i've been sitting on that question for like weeks so i can't i've been waiting to ask that but but here's um, uh, we'll see how, how everyone reacts tomorrow night when we go through these same questions. Here's here's a here's a yeah I should be like I should have waited till you clarified that I wouldn't raise my hand. Um, and and going off of what you said, Diana, the question is is why don't men pursue girls? Like what are they waiting for? Question mark. Um, why don't men why, why don't guys pursue girls? What are they waiting for? I think it's scary. I think that part that's part of it. It's 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 kind of terrifying. Um, I, I don't know. I've been really scared before. Have you guys been scared at all? I'm not scared. Just me, apparently. I'm the only. <laughs> these guys are these guys are, are are brave. So um, but I I think I think I think there is. I think depending on what the setting is. Um, I think church settings. I think there is certainly a little bit more timidity and the reason is because if you get shot down you got to keep seeing the same person or leave the church yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean you've got to you got to you got to you you're going to get shot down and you're going to like experience some awkwardness and then some people can't handle that so they're like i'm just leaving like i mean like we've had people like leave lcc cuz that exactly that happened or like a relationship went south and it was just awkward and so um, I think there's certainly a higher degree of timidity in the church I also think meeting people like in the church is, all, is a really great safe way to do it where there's a lot of good accountability um, but what are they waiting for? There's the follow up and I think there's maybe an assumption to this question, what are they waiting for? They m might not be waiting for anything they might just not like you <laughs> um, and I'm thinking this is written from a girl's perspective Perspective, based on how it's written in the handwriting, but yeah. I think I think there's some truth to that. Like, they just might not like you, and that's probably why. And you know, I don't think you have to go like sit at Boaz's feet type of thing. Um, I, I, I honestly, I don't think you have to do. Ladies, I think for the most part, you have to do very very little. Um, if a guy really likes you, he will move heaven and earth. I'm getting I'm getting north and south from Diana. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's really true. Like, if he really likes you, he'll do he, he'll 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 do whatever he can. Um, like he'll go from being busy or having too much homework to his entire schedule has been totally clear. Um, he will drive an hour and a half to meet you when he can't stand being in the car for five minutes. When he we'll do it. When he when he was born like ten years too early for the time of self-driving cars. Yeah. Not stand being in a car. For five minutes he hates driving but he drove over an hour to see me one way one way each time for like like a lot. i hate driving i hate it okay um so i'm all for self-driving cars things like that but yeah um i think there is certainly i think a certain level of timidity and i think you know also too i think there might be like a, a history especially if a guy's been shot down over and over it can do one of two things it can just crush his confidence think or i think i don't know my experience i've been shot i would get shot down a ton but it actually emboldened me i'm like oh so that's what it feels like i can handle being shot down whatever right um and for some guys they honestly some guys it's probably just like it's just go get shot down and you'll probably get a lot more confident um and, and so i think that 
there's two aspects to that, but uh, any follow-up questions on that question of uh, the pursuit and uh, the pursuit and waiting? I think those are the two things. Yeah, Jess McKay and Lexi Fountain. I think also if a guy is being mentored actively by another man, um, maybe there's the potential that the older guy is saying, hey, you need to work on something before you ask her out. And so that doesn't necessarily mean he's not interested. It means he's working on himself before he pursues me. I remember there was one time there was a girl that I liked, and I told Pastor Dane, and um, he said, wait. Remember he said that. And uh, I was silly, and I didn't listen to him. And I dated this girl, and then like a month later, she dumped me. Um, but, yeah, I think there's, you know, for whatever the reason is, okay, um, and, and there might be good reasons too. Um, in that case, like the girl had just got out of like a, a very, uh, like a relationship with her ex-boyfriend just really, really recently in which she was like sexually active and not that there's not mercy and grace, but he's like, I think she needs a little bit more time just on her own. Um, because there are still like wounds there and, and there is still like, he's like, I would guess some healing. So he's like, I'd give her some more space. Um, probably should have listened to him. Um, but you're right. I think, I think there is for whatever the reason is. And that's where kind of almost on the married question, like that wise counsel. Where does that fit in? Lexi Fountain, you want to follow up with this? Well, I was going to, Caleb and I were kind of like babies when we started dating. We were 16 and 18, you know? And so I was the one who was like, I like you. What are you going to do about it kind of thing? And so, which is like, you know us, that kind of like makes sense. Um, And so, but it was one of those things where he was like, I need time. And so I like completely left him alone. And then like six months later, we were like dating. But I was just like, just so you know. And then kind of like left it and his court to like do something with or not so olivia yeah i think that goes the other way too like if a guy tries to pursue you and you're not in a place where you're like good with that and you say no that doesn't necessarily mean that you're just like shooting him down you know you could be needing to work on things too or take time from an old relationship yeah i think i think there's truth to to both those things um it might just mean i I just need some time. I'm not. I'm not there yet, and it's totally okay. And I just say, I think the best policy, just to be honest, say I'm not there. And um, unfortunately, what happens in those situations is, is I'm not there, but I, I don't want you to date anybody else. So I'm just gonna keep you on the hook, and maybe this may or may not work out. And I've seen this vice versa, guys versus girls, and that's where if someone's like not there, cool. Um, you know, don't leave all your eggs in that basket. You leave one egg, take all the other eggs, and try putting them in you know other baskets. Uh, so I think there's, you know, also just that counsel on that. Um, we're over on time, but I got to get, oh, that's the last question. I know who wrote this, and she's not even here tonight. Maybe she'll be here tomorrow. Um, kind of on a lighter side, the question is, is how did you propose? Um, I stole an idea from my best friend, Roland, uh, and uh, I came in one day back when we were living in the dorms, uh, any quad people in here? Any people? Quads! Home of the gods! Yes! That's what we would say. We weren't polytheistic. We just thought it was clever. <laughs> I came in, and I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm, I'm writing a letter. I'm like, who are you writing a letter to? He's like, I, I'm like, who are you writing a letter to? You know, I pulled it out of him. He's like, well, I'm writing a letter to my future wife. And I'm like, ha, huh, that's so simple. That's such a good idea. So that's what I did. And then I read the letter to Diana. So it was like, dear Mrs. Future Decreon, and, and multiple letters. I had multiple letters, yeah, that I that I had written over the over the years, and I gave them to you. I read them to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
that is the short version. There might be an extended version that Diana can tell you ladies, but um, that will that wraps up part three of our Q&A. Next week will be part four, guys.